What's up? Welcome back to another episode of Where Are All My Friends. This week, we sit down with Finn McKenty. I really like this dude. I think he's doing something incredibly cool, and I'm so happy to be able to hear his story. If you're unfamiliar with what he does, he started a YouTube channel called The Punk Rock MBA. He's one of my favorite people in the YouTube space that covers music because he's not cheesy about it. He has integrity. He covers things with a really educated perspective. And he also just started a podcast called the Punk Rock MBA Podcast, where he's sitting down with people mostly in music and telling their stories of like what they're doing right now and having some really great conversations. It's one of my favorite new podcasts. I really believe in it. In addition, he is the director of operations at URM Academy. Overall, the dude's just working hard putting out some really cool stuff so to be able to tell this story and sit with him is a super insightful episode as always thank you for listening if you're listening for the first time shoot me a message on instagram let me know your favorite parts of this episode if you want to do me a huge favor leave some stars and some feedback on apple podcasts it's the biggest favor that you can do for me and it helps the show get discovered i really really appreciate it it helps a ton i think that says it all i hope this episode leaves you inspired it gets you to go out there and chase whatever you're working on it certainly got me fired up enjoy i'll be back next week with another one where are all my friends sitting down with finn mckenty did i say that right you did say it right very good uh this is a very cool one we were internet friends first and i kind of just had a feeling i started to see a lot of what you were doing i started to see a lot of the artists that you were paying attention to and i was like this guy gets it and then more recently, you put out a podcast. I listened to the beginning of, or I listened to the first episodes that came out, and I really liked it. So I'm very stoked to sit down with you right now. I'm very stoked to hear your story because from afar, I've seen what you've been doing, but I don't know your whole story. And that's kind of my favorite spot to be when I do one of these. Cool. Well, the feeling is mutual. I had the same experience. I listened to your uh, podcast with Charlie with Fatsy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm so, I was a little bit angry that that episode existed because it's like the exact podcast I wanted to do with him. <laughs> like, fuck, he beat me to it. Well, but that's good. Because, I mean, him and I both talked about you yeah. and we're like, yo, like he's doing such cool stuff. Yeah. I'm sure you can do something with him. There's those times where you see someone out there, you know, in the internet that's a total stranger and just for some reason you're like, I think we're on the same wavelength. And I find that when you get that feeling, I always do end up meeting that person and usually being friends with them. And it's weird how that works. Yeah. And you can kind of start to see the parallels too, where you're like, wait, we have a lot of the same mutual friends. Like mm -hmm. you just kind of get that feeling. You're like, I think this person gets it. And I think that communities and like-minded people should always connect. And I think I used to look back at things like that and honestly be threatened. Like I'd see somebody doing such a good job yeah. where they'd kind of do what I was doing. And I'm like, that's bullshit. I and still am. Isn't it weird? <laughs> it's such a weird, Yeah. but I've, I've been trying and more and more I've gotten very good at taking that feeling and being like, wait a minute, if you think somebody's doing something really cool, don't be threatened, go meet them. Cause you're probably yep. right on the same level. And there's probably a way that you guys will become friends and who knows what comes of it. So well, I have uh, a, a good tip for that. A friend of mine, he's a photographer named Chase Jarvis that some of you guys might know, pretty well-known photographer who I've been friends with for a long time, very insightful guy. I was having this conversation with him maybe like 15 years ago or something like that, and he said, here's what you do, and this is what I've done ever since. If you feel that that moment of like defensiveness of like, oh shit, somebody's like doing my thing and they're doing it well and I don't like that, reach out to that person and tell them, like congratulate them for doing the specific thing that's making you feel uncomfortable. And then you will instantly feel better. Yeah. Like I just did. I just told you, you did the podcast I wanted to do. Yeah. And instantly you'll just feel that weight evaporate and then you feel happier and that person is going to be stoked. And it's like, yeah, like you're completely right. And then on the other end, I'm like, dude, that's so cool that you're paying attention to Fatsy as well. Yeah. Because we both clearly think he's awesome. So I don't know. I love that you get that and you know that feeling. So it's really cool to connect. Um, what I like to do is I like to kind of start and hear your story around like where you found your thing. Well, I was born in 1941 in Jackson, Mississippi. <laughs> okay, that's not true. <laughs> What's the math there? Yeah. Okay, yeah, great. 
Yeah. Well, where do we start? So before we get right into that, for anybody who doesn't know what you do, just a brief explanation of who you are and what you do very briefly. There are two things that I split, uh, spend my time on. The first one that probably most people listening to this know me for is I have a YouTube channel and podcast called The Punk Rock MBA. And uh, on those two platforms, basically what I do is reverse engineer trends and behavior in the kind of alternative music world. So why do people like a certain band? Why do they dislike another band? Uh, why did this trend get big? Why did it blow up? So that's the kind of thing I talk about on the Punk Rock MBA. And then the other thing, which is like my day job, is I'm director of operations for a company called URM Academy. We're the world's best online school for rock and metal producers. The main product we have is called Nail the Mix, where every month you get the actual like multi-track session by a big artist. Like this month, we have Tom Lord Algae mixing Angels and Airwaves. Last month, we had Suicide Silence. Or sorry, last month, we had Knock Loose. The month before that, we had Suicide Silence. So you get the raw multi-track files, you can download that and into your DAW and mix it and kind of see what's going on there. And then at the end of the month, the producer who did that does a live stream where they show you how they did it from start to finish. You can ask them questions. So those are the two things that I spend my time on. I've known of URM now for probably like a year or so, and I had no idea that you were tied to that. I feel me, so me, bad, me but that's Al. so sick. AL was sitting right where you are 40 minutes ago. Oh, shit. Yeah. So that's why I'm here at NAMM. That's really cool. That's so Ale does all the like content. Like he obviously hosts Nail the Mix and the podcast and all that kind of stuff. And I run the business side of things. So like marketing, customer support, and tech and all that stuff. That's so sick. There Damn. we go. All right. Another one of these small world moments. I know, dude. It's crazy. So wow, cool. All right. Well, let's get into your story then. Let's hear how this came about. So yeah, bring me back to, I guess, like just whatever that age was where you were kind of, I always look to the time of finding your first thing, you know, like yeah. I guess for me, I was probably 13 skateboarding and that kind of like snowballed into a lot of things. But where did you kind of find that spark of this might be what I like to do? Well, it depends what you mean by this. Um, but I would say fundamentally what I like to do is make stuff. Uh, and I've, I've done a lot of things in my career, but fundamentally it all boils down to like me going, I think that X should exist because Y, uh, how do I make that? And then I make it. Uh, so, you know, ever since my, like my mom's earliest memory of me, you know, talking is waking up her, waking her up in the middle of the night. Uh, and I, I kind of shook her awake and I said, something to do, put hands. <laughs> no way. And that's just kind of how I'm wired. I just, always need to be working on something. That's just what makes me happy. Like to other people, it makes them happy to relax. It stresses me out. Yeah. It makes me happy to, to make stuff. So I was into like drawing when I was a kid, mostly. Yeah. So I was super into that. Um, and then I started making uh, fanzines when I was like 13 or 14. So for anybody who's too young to have known what those were, basically that's like a DIY magazine. So you would like photocopy it or something like that. Uh, I interviewed bands and, you know, uh, it was like bands and pictures of graffiti because this is before the internet. So it was hard to see pictures of graffiti from other cities. Yeah. So I would, you know, trade graffiti pictures with people from all over the country or whatever and publish them in my fanzine um, just to kind of spread the word. Cause it's the same thing as I would do with a band now to go, Hey, this person in, um, I don't know, like there was a cool graffiti scene in, uh, in Atlanta at the time in like the nineties, there's some cool people, there's people doing cool shit in Atlanta. I would like to spread the word about that. Um, and that's kind of fundamentally the same impulse. So I, I did zines and I sold those all through the mail. Cause again, before the internet. Um, so when I was 15, 16 years old, I'm going to like the post office, you know, with an armful of zines mailing them out all over the country into Finland and Singapore and all these weird random places. Bro, that's crazy. How are you promoting that at the time? I have like it's crazy to me that I did it because if you told me to do it now I'd be like what how yeah actually uh, but so what I did was I mean again it's fundamentally the same thing uh as what you would do now it's just like a different a, a different medium but so I printed little flyers for it like that were maybe like I printed it they're like the size of like your phone mm -hmm. so you could fit like six of them on a sheet of paper I think yeah and then I would cut those out, and every time I would write a letter to somebody, which I did all the time, or send a zine to somebody, I would include a stack of those in the envelope and say, like, please send these out, you know, when you send out an order or, 
write a letter to someone. And we would do that. Other people did that too. So anytime I would send a letter to somebody, I would include five or six of these little flyers for other people's stuff. So we would all just be promoting each other's stuff, you know, the same way now as you would tag someone in your story. Yeah. Same kind of thing, only just obviously way <laughs> slower and more difficult. So I probably, I, I never kept track of an exact number, but I sold a few thousand of those through the mail by the time I was like, you know, 19 or something like that. Um, and uh, so that's how I got started, you know, doing interviews, taking pictures, stuff like that, which to me, what I do now on YouTube is the same thing as I did back then. It's just, you know, on YouTube instead of a photocopied fanzine. I love that so much. And I have one question there where like, did you get the feeling? Because I remember, I guess my first hustle hustle was very different, but like washing cars in mm -hmm. the neighborhood. But the feeling of making your own money, like that feeling to me was so addictive. I, uh, no, but, um, <laughs> a different feeling of like, to me, I wasn't doing it to make money necessarily. Mm -hmm. To me, money is just the scorecard that people care enough about your content that it matters. Do you know what I mean? I love that. Yeah. I completely get that. Same with YouTube. Like, you know, it's cool to make money off of YouTube and it, it you know, now I make enough money from it that it actually is meaningful. Yeah. But more than anything, it's just like it's just a scorecard, you know, and of all the advertising dollars going on to YouTube, like the best content, people don't want to hear it, but the best content wins according to the audience. And remember, they're the people who judge what's good, not you and me. Yeah. Uh, the, the better your content is, the bigger you, a share of that YouTube money that you get. Um, and so that's kind of how I look at it. So the money was cool, but what was really cool about it is that I made a thing that other people thought was worth paying for. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's some people are cool to just make their art and hang it on the wall in their bedroom and nobody ever sees it. And I totally respect that. Um, but for me personally, uh, and, and it will sound like this is me getting down on myself, but it's not, I don't care whether I think it's good or not. I, I, I judge it by whether the market believes it's good or not. Yeah. That's that to me is the the validation. Not like, oh, I don't think I'm good enough. It's just literally like, well, of course I like it because I made it. <laughs> yeah. But what do other people think? Yeah. And do they like it enough they will actually give me even one dollar? Right. Even just one dollar is hard to get from people. If you went out on the street and asked people to give me a dollar, yeah, ninety nine percent are going to tell you to fuck off. Right. That's a really cool way to look at it because it really is. It's like it it is the universal scorecard of, is this a valuable product? Right. Is this good enough that people care to put money that they've worked hard into? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, again, that's just how I look at it. If other people see things differently, cool. But yeah. that's just how I see it. No, that that's actually a really cool, like, I love that. I think more people should have that attitude, right? Because it's like, if you believe in your product enough to be honest with yourself, to refine it if the market doesn't believe in it how right. can you lose right that's really cool so that by doing that in the beginning that was like kind of your first start of making something and mm -hmm. bringing it to people yep cool yeah so then what happens from there well uh in my life or in my making <laughs> stuff <laughs> uh history you know, I guess they would maybe tie together a little bit, but I think I am more interested in the making stuff and okay. the, how that path and that journey goes. Got it. So I did zines until I was maybe 21 or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I was just kind of focusing on working and other shit and didn't do anything. No, that's not true. That's not true. I started doing a lot of programming then. Uh, so I started making websites and stuff like that. Um, and not like personal ones necessarily. I did it like as a, as a freelancer. Uh, and so I got good enough at that stuff. You know, back then that was a much less professionalized world than it is now. Like the most technical thing I ever did, which actually is pretty technical and I couldn't do it now. I bought some shitty old like compact PC at Goodwill and installed, I, I made a Linux Apache PHP MySQL server, installed it all from scratch, uh, got it running off my, a, a web server running off my cable modem in our living room. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, you know, because I just wanted to see if I could do it. Yeah. Um, and if any of you, uh, if anyone is into retro gaming, I actually had the domain rivercityransom.com pointing to that computer uh, <laughs> in my living room. And then the people who like were making some remake of the game threatened 
and made me threatened me and made me give him the domain. But I got that web server up and running off my cable modem, which is is a you know it's non-trivial, you know. And I I was so that's kind of what I was into back then, which ties into what I'm doing now because I do like basically the the product management type stuff for URM, and it's because I understand I'm technical enough from doing that stuff that I understand the process of software development basically, and so I'm able to manage that for us. So that's kind of what I was into is making like programming for quite a few years. I made some games and websites and stuff like that. Um, and then I started a blog in 2000. I had a couple blogs in like 2004 to 2006. It didn't really go anywhere. Um, and then in 2008, I started a uh, blog about like kind of a kind of a jokey blog about old school metal called Metal Inquisition that some people might know. Uh, that got fairly popular for what it was, which is me and my friends just fucking around, had zero expectations for it. And I mean, it didn't turn into Vice or something, but it was getting, I don't know, 30 or 50,000 views a month, which for us was a lot. Yeah. Um, and that turned into a lot of things. Um, based on that, I, for one, somebody who read that blog got me my first big corporate job. I was a graphic designer for Abercrombie & Fitch for a no while. Way. I did graphic design and marketing for Abercrombie & Fitch for four years, and it's because of somebody who read that blog, Sean Kemsarov, who I'm forever indebted to. I just tweeted one day, like, dude, I need a new job. Uh, and he was like, I can hook you up at Abercrombie. And I was like, all right, well, let's see where this goes. And he did, <laughs> which was which was a big deal for me because I wanted to have like a corporate name on my resume like that because... Just like with you, if you tell people you worked at EVR, they're like, oh, okay, now I take you seriously. Yeah. It's stupid that you have to have, it, it's a dumb facet of human psychology that. Yeah, you're right. Having that big name on the resume is what makes people take you seriously. Yeah. Like you didn't become a different human than when I was talking to you 10 minutes ago. Yeah. But suddenly you tell me that you have this name on your resume and my respect level for you goes up 10x. Like, I mean, that's not how my brain works, but that's how a lot of people are. It's a very transactional, like you're just weighing like company clout. Totally. Saying, like, exactly. okay, cool. They're exactly. associated with it's, this, this, exactly. and this. It's and just like saying you had so-and-so's feature on your song and it's like, actually, oh, damn, okay. Yeah. Um. So anyway, uh, yeah, before that, I was working uh, at a industrial design and engineering company. Um, we did a lot of stuff for like Febreze and Swiffer. So like actually a lot of the, I think almost all of the Swiffer products that are on the market now, we designed. Wow. Um, which was super interesting. Did you go to school for any of that or were you self-taught with a lot of the design stuff that you were doing? I did go to school for it for two years and then I switched my major to management and marketing. Mm. So I feel like I got the best of both worlds because I got a super good design education and like the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. And then I got a super good fundamental, fundamental like business education. So even though it cost more because it held me back a year, I'm glad I did it that way. That's cool. So and, yeah, I did the Abercrombie thing for like four or five years. Then I worked at a company called Creative Live, which is an online education company for creative folks, primarily like photographers and graphic designers. Uh, and then after that, I made the jump over to URM, which is here where I am now. Wow. Okay. So cool. I've been involved professionally in making stuff pretty much my whole life. Yeah. Now, a question that I have though is with your background, especially being so savvy in like computers and yeah. networking and like real design, I feel like there's plenty jobs that you could get that are just high paying salary jobs where you're just mad comfortable with that background. Yet here you are with a YouTube channel talking about music that you love and believe in and talking about people that you love and believe in. So there has to be something more than, again, just well, there's two things there. First of all, those jobs are not necessarily comfortable. Yes, they pay a lot. My wife works for, do you know what AWS is? No. Uh, Amazon Web Services. It's basically the cloud computing infrastructure that runs like the entire internet. Oh, like tight. Netflix runs on AWS. Okay. You know, Snapchat runs on AWS. Wow. <laughs> uh, it's literally like the infrastructure for, I think, something like 40 or 50% of the internet. Um, okay. And it's actually what makes most of Amazon's profit. So it's probably the most transformational like software company in the history of like the world, probably, because they essentially put cloud computing on the map the way it is now. All it's right. Not, it's not a chill place to work. Yeah. Um, they pay very well. It's super prestigious. You're going to work with some of the best people in the world, mm -hmm. but it's not chill. <laughs> so, you know, it's not, those are not comfortable jobs, yeah. um, but they do pay well. Uh, Second is I tried to get those jobs 
and they didn't want me. Really? Um, because uh, I, I don't. I'm just not. They want people who are a. The thing with corporate jobs is, and you may have experienced this even at labels, is they want you to stay very tightly within certain lane. Yeah. They don't want you to do any more or any less. It's like your job is the accounts payable person. So your job is to pay invoices that come in. It doesn't matter if you're like, hey, boss, you know, I was just thinking there's a way better way that we could do such and such. They're like, cool, shut the fuck up. Your job is to pay invoices. And and I'm just not that person um, for better or for worse. Sometimes I wish I was because to your point, I probably have like a more chill, stable life. Yeah. If uh, I could be the person that would be a micro um, a marketing manager at Microsoft and you know, I mean, you get paid 200 grand a year or something for that. Um, and, uh, just do that. Um, but that's just not who I am. And I tried for a long time to get those jobs and they, I just bounced off it every time because I don't, I, I just don't fit that mold. And so I eventually was like, you know what? Fuck it. I guess I'm not the person that they want. So I, I, I have no choice but to be myself and I'm going to make the most of it. I think you just put that so well and the whole, they want you to do one thing and one thing only is so, so real. And I, I really do relate to a lot of that. And it's funny because in one sense, like, I guess that's traditional success. However, it's almost like by being the outcast, by being that outlier person, yes, it's not as traditional as a path, but the amount of satisfaction that you get in your work. And I think that the people that I've talked to similar to yourself that are almost forced to go and do their own thing, yeah. later on you talk to them about life and success and what they're doing. And the people that are so admired come from a spot of being such the outcast that didn't fit into that perfect mold yeah. and had to make that thing. But that comes at a price. I mean, like there's been a lot of very dark difficult, scary times in my life that people who, you know, have that nine to five, you know, at Microsoft never had those moments. Um, so I, I, I think there's, uh, in our world, I think there's this sort of unquestioned assumption that it's bad to have that nine to five corporate job and that you're unhappy if you have a desk job or something like that. That's not true. Yeah. Like those people are stoked. Yeah. Like, you know, like my sister-in-law, she's worked for, the uh you know Washington state government as a developer for like 17 years or something like that she leaves at fucking 501 on the dot and goes home to her family she's stoked yeah like she's not unhappy she doesn't feel like a drone she's like no i'm good yeah like i have stability i have benefits i'm like we're good so i guess my point is like in the same way as it you know you shouldn't feel compelled to like go down the nine to five path. You also shouldn't be compelled to like be one of these like creative entrepreneur types. Totally. It, oh my god, you know? dude! Like that's not a fucking easy path. And if you don't feel comfortable doing it, don't. Yeah, that no, that's a very real thing. And I guess that's my only gripe with like the like making the whole entrepreneurship so cool right now yeah. is like what it actually is sucks for a lot of time. Yeah. And there's much more stability and comfort in anything else. But I like the whole reason why I started this podcast is I remember what it was like to feel different from the chasing like the nine to five or like having the formal education and getting the official title, whatever. Like I remember being like, understanding it and seeing it and knowing that it was good, but being like, there's something else here or like, I just don't line up. And being that young entrepreneurial minded person or be, whatever that is, wanting to make stuff, looking at things differently, seeing like, okay, here's this, how can I put my spin on it? Or what if I did this? That in the beginning is so uncomfortable because yeah. you have this passion and you have this spark and this excitement and it sucks and it doesn't make you money at first. And sometimes it takes years and like actual years and years and years. Yeah. So by starting this and talking to people that have been through it and have built their own thing, I want to put that out there of just like that inspiration and the understanding that it's okay, that it doesn't just happen right. overnight and understanding where people come from that led them to these. And let, me, let me tell I you like this, that. like there's people. So like one of the partners in URM Academy is Joey Sturgis, who's a producer that people would know for producing like, Alice, asking Alexandria and you know of Mice and Men and Bless the Fall and I See Stars and a billion other bands like that. Yeah. 
So I, I've been close to people like him or like Chase from Creative Live or, you know, at Creative Live, we worked with like every one of these entrepreneur type people. You would fucking melt. 99% of people would melt by spending a fucking day working as intensely as those people do. It is not chill. It is not for everyone. And I'm not saying like, don't do it. I'm not trying to talk anyone out. I'm just saying like, the reality of it is be prepared to work 16 hours a day for like nine years. Yeah. Because that's what those people do. Yeah. And that's just because that's how they're wired. Yeah. Like I, I am a pretty intense person that works pretty hard. Compared to like Chase and Gary, I feel like the biggest slacker in the world. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, I literally don't understand how these people operate at this level of intensity their entire lives. Dude. And they uh, like it. That's how they're wired. I so much agree with that. You know, it's like you you have your thing and like, I feel you like I work hard and I know that I work hard, but then I see certain friends where you're just like, oh, you're, you're on another fucking you're level. You're different. Like yeah. you're just wired differently and they don't stop. They're just energizer bunnies with a vision and it just goes. That to me is inspiration. Like when I see those people, I'm like, if I can get anywhere near that, we're golden. But on the other hand, I think there's a lot of people. So, I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this all the time. If you're not that, don't try to be that. Totally. Because you're born that way. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I think that's just, you're just born that way. And, you know, being exceptional in any way comes at a price. Like, there's no free lunch. Um, yeah. If you are one of these exceptional people, and I mean, you've been around a lot of them, you know, the exceptional artists and stuff, there's always a price to be paid for that. Yeah. You know, whether that's like relationships or physical health or mental health or whatever, there's a price to be paid for being exceptional. So there's nothing wrong with, uh, I, in a lot of ways, I would say, consider yourself lucky if you can, if you're just like, I'm just an average person. There's nothing special about me. Consider yourself lucky. Yeah. Cause you're not going to have to pay the price at some of these other people. Look at how many of these musicians have like terrible mental health issues yeah. or, or addiction issues. You know, I mean, that's just reality is there's no free lunch. And if you think there's somebody else out there that has a perfect life, you're wrong. They don't. That's so, so real. But I think maybe the healthy balance is at least know, like I say, I call it like your superpower, right? But it's like, at least know the thing that you love doing that you can do with less resistance. Like it comes naturally. Cause I think a lot of people maybe know it and they're afraid to execute it, or maybe they haven't found it yet. But when you find that thing and you have that spark and every day you get excited to do it, totally. maybe you're not going to be the friends that we talk about that are 16 hours in and like nonstop, but like working off of that feeling and chasing whatever that is, that feels good. And I like to find where people find that in themselves, you know? Yep. Yeah. And, and for me, what I realized, so I went to school for design and I did graphic design and stuff for a while, uh, but I realized that that what I thought that's what I was passionate about, but I realized it wasn't. And, and what I was really passionate about was like operating a business, like problem solving, you know, I, design is problem solving. It was just the kind of the only, it's hard to articulate it, but like I was drawn to design because it was creative problem solving. I just didn't realize that there was a much broader set of creative problem solving, which is just running a business. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I would be like, okay, yeah, I can design a poster that looks like that. But if they come to the show, it's going to suck because they're going to be in a line that's way too long because the way the ticket taking thing is set up is in the wrong order. And you started to notice other problems yeah, and, and other things. Yeah. And it's like, okay, cool. We are just designing the poster. We don't, we're not, you know, don't tell us how to, you know, run the ticket booth. Yeah. You know, I'd be like, yeah, but it should be better. And yeah. like, that's just what I like to do is optimize a thing. Do you think that though, do you think you had to start with design before you could realize that there was more to it? Um, I mean, for me, yeah, I did. Um, I, because, you know, I just growing up, my mom never really had like a career of any kind. Uh, and my dad was a corrections officer. So I just wasn't, that's all I knew. You know, mm -hmm. my mom, she majored in like, uh, like some artsy shit at mm -hmm. Evergreen state. Um, so I, I knew about art because of her and I knew about <laughs> prison because of my dad and like, you know, that's kind of, he was in the Navy and then he's a corrections officer and that's kind of what I knew. So, um, yeah, I just sort of ended up doing the artsy kind of thing. But I think if somebody would have told me about like, you know, computer science or engineering or something like that when I was younger, I probably would have gone into that. Yeah.
That's interesting. I just, I think about that, like where I'm big on taking the first step, right? Where it's like, maybe you wouldn't have understood that there was so much more of business that you're excited to problem mm -hmm. solve in if you hadn't taken the step of designing first, right? It, it, people should just try shit. Like yeah. even if it's literal only for an hour. Yeah. Uh, so like when I was in college, uh, one of the things that you get, so like if you, if you go to college and you look at your like bill, there's a bunch of line items for shit there, like library fee. Uh, well, what is what what goes into that? One of one of the things that goes into that is you have they have subscriptions to all these academic journals that are like a few hundred bucks a year and like super obscure. The only way you can ever read them is if you go to a college library. And I was like, well, I'm paying for this, so I might as well take advantage of this, right? So I would go there and just read random journals. I just pull oh, up shit. some like quantitative finance journal or something like that off the shelf and read it. And I sometimes wouldn't understand any of it or be boring or whatever. But then other times it would like blow my mind and be like, whoa, I had no idea this was a field of study. I love this. Yeah. Like there's one that I discovered I like a lot, the Academy of Management Review, which is about like organizational behavior and management. Uh, I didn't know that that was a field of academic study, but I ended up loving it and developed a relationship with the professor that taught that at my school. And I learned a lot about it that I use at work every day now. That's so cool. And so my point is like, whether that is, for me at that time, it was picking up random journals and reading them. But for anyone else, it could be just like, talk to your neighbor about what they do for a living. Just be like, hey, what exactly do you do for work? What yeah. is that like? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? And yeah. there might be some spark there. Like one of the things that I, I mean, I still remember this is 15 years ago. Uh, I had a life-changing conversation with the doorman of the building I worked at at the time. No shit. Who used to be like a homeless crackhead that was in and out of prison and all this stuff. And uh, at the time, I was having a really hard time getting along with people at work. And I was like, I just, I was at my wit's end. And I was just literally asking everybody for advice. Like, what do I do? Yeah. How do I get along with people? And I asked him, I was like, Zach, what, what's, what do I do? And he told me, fake it till you make it. Just put a smile on your face. Say, you know, if if you're if you're feeling angry, say something nice, and eventually, it, and you're not going to mean it at first, but eventually you will. Mm. And I was like, "All right, I'll try." You know, I'll try anything. Yeah, and it worked. You know what's so interesting about that is like I, I generally hate that saying "fake it till you make it" because I think people misinterpret it. But the way that you just explained it is beautiful, and I think a lot of the times, like some where I closely relate is when I first moved to California, I was very broke and like just had a feeling. I was like, I think this is the right thing to do, but this sucks. And I didn't think it was going to be like this. And I I've, like, felt like I've always been very calculated. So for it to still suck after right. that calculation, <laughs> like, I was wait like, a minute. no, I, other people yeah. say that it sucks, but no. This wasn't supposed to happen to me. It was, it was just shitty. And I started to look at like what were successful people doing. Like, what did the people that I idolized do? And there were all small steps, right? Like, we were talking about group chat and drama and D mm -hmm. and all that. Like, I remember hearing drama say something like that, where he was smoking cigarettes, he wasn't healthy, he was unhappy. And then every day he started running. And it would just in the doing one thing like that, it led to him winning. And every yeah. day he would have one win. And then he felt good about that. So I started being like, all right, well, I don't have money, but like, what can I do? All these people are healthy. You know, like they, they take care of themselves. All mm -hmm. these successful people seem to care about themselves. All right, I can eat better. I can go to the gym. Like there were little things, or even if you can't afford a gym membership, you can exercise. Can go do so push-ups. Yeah. The way that you just said that of like, cool, put a smile on your face. Like maybe it isn't real at first, yeah. but after you start to do it and then you start to see the effect of it, I don't know, like a week to a month mm -hmm. later, then you're like, wait a minute, this feels better. Yeah. And then it leads to another thing and another. So that's, I actually love that. And that's cool that that was such a piece. Totally. And, you know, that's another good piece of advice, I think, is if there's somebody who you look up to or somebody who has done a thing that you want to do or whatever, and they give you advice, yeah. do it, even if you don't necessarily understand it or don't believe it. Because the reason you don't understand it or don't believe it is because you're not in the same place as they are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you understood it, you would already be doing it. That's so, huge. So it's almost like, by definition, you won't understand good advice because if you understood it, you would already be doing it. Yeah. You know? So that's what I found is like, 
you know, so like I do jujitsu, do jujitsu, and you know the uh, you know the coach will show something, and I'm like, I don't know, this does that sounds kind of screwy. I'm like, but I'm gonna I'll do it, and then eventually do it a couple times. And they're like, okay, now I get it. I need to do move my elbow here. Okay, I see it's off balancing him this way. Um, and there's like there's a saying in AA which I apply to life in general. It's like it works if you work it. Hmm. Like the program in AA, because my mom was an AA. Yeah. Um, th- if you if you work the program, it will work. Just the same as like when somebody gives you good advice, if you work it, it will work. Yeah. Um. So I I think that's there's a lot of people out there that think and hope and plan and like well as soon as this then I'll do that you know but just get out there and run yeah. even if it's only around the block yeah I do ten push-ups. Yeah. Just do something. Action is always the route to feeling better. I so wholeheartedly agree with you. And it's even to this day, I have to remind myself I'll feel shitty about something or I'll, I, something isn't where I want it to be. And then it's just like, well, yeah, but how much are you doing? How much more could you be doing? Exactly. Like with YouTube, you know, for me, I didn't get any traction for nine months. I think I made like 50 videos or something like that before, which, which actually is not bad. You know, there's other people it takes a lot longer. So I, I consider myself fortunate. But still, you know, when you've made 40 videos and they're still getting like 140 views, you're like, fuck, man. Like, <laughs> dude, I mean, this is the perfect transition, right? Because I think a huge part of what you're doing right now is the channel and like what you have built. And I'm so interested to hear about these early times. Yeah. Because again, on a podcast, you're listening to this, you hear you say the number 40 and you're like, yeah, cool. That's. Less than 50? Yeah. More than 30? Well, go like, make 40 videos and tell me how you feel about it. Go make 40 videos. Go <laughs> yeah. think, that's hours. Think about that time. Think about that patience. Like, think about, I mean, this episode will be in the 30s on this podcast. Yeah. And I've been doing this for almost a year now. Like, it's time. It's real perseverance. Sure. I so mean, that's a long time for you to go without We're down here seeing. in Anaheim. You came from LA. Like, yeah. you know, this is a big chunk of your day putting that you're putting into this. And, right. And then if you put all this time and emotional energy into something and nobody gives a fuck, that feels terrible. It sucks. That's like the worst feeling to me. It's way worse than something getting negatively received is when nobody cares. Oh, that's too real. So you had that. You dealt yeah. with that in the beginning. I just, there were a few people that I heard say things that just kind of kept me going. For one, partly I think it's just because of, you know, because I'm older. I know that good things don't come easy. So I was just kind of prepared to do that because I've, I've just, there's been a lot of things in my life that took me many years to achieve. And so I know, I just kind of know, all right, you got to dig in and just be patient. Um, yeah. but I remember, you know, D Murthy, uh, from group chat, um, and detour, which is, I don't know if you listen to detour, but it's good. His I've other heard podcast. a couple. I haven't, I'm not religious on it, yeah. but I've heard a couple. Pretty good. Yeah. Shorter segments. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but very tactical, which I like. Uh, anyhow, uh, he said this and then I, Justine, do you know her? Do you know who she is? She's, uh, she's like a tech YouTuber, like does like gadget reviews, like, you oh, know, cool. cameras and computers and shit. Um, both of them basically said the same thing, which is like, you just, if you just keep going, eventually it's going to work. And, and I was like, well, I like, if you believe that I, if you believe that you have something to say, then it's just a matter of time until eventually it catches on. And that might be a week or it might be three years, but I was just like, well, I mean, I'm not getting any younger, so now's the time to do it. You know, I'm just going to dig in and I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing this for as long as it takes for anybody to give a shit. Because I know what's going to happen eventually. So that lesson is very common, right? Like hearing that. And I think it's common because ultimately it, it's, true right? there's a reason why every youtuber gives you the same advice like be yourself be patient is because it's all fucking true right but what i what i want to paint the picture of is take me back to the beginning and deciding that you were going to go down that path and having that patience and like what year are we in when you started uh september 2017 okay so we're at a little over two years a little over two years and what was that like? Like, what videos did you start making? What was your idea of it? And what did you have to go through to actually produce 40 fucking videos? Well, first of all, I should be clear that this is not working in the coal mines, you know? <laughs> like, 
I'm not <laughs> Jesus on the cross, like, please pity me because I make videos. You know, like my father-in-law fought in the fucking jungle in Vietnam for seven fucking years, you know, against the communists. Thank you. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> nobody should feel sorry for me or anybody else that, you know, is crying because they didn't get attention on the internet for their <laughs> shit, you know. It's the most first world problem imaginable. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm actually laughing. <laughs> well, I mean, in all seriousness, I think it's important to have a sense of perspective. That's true. You know, there's some fucking kid literally living in a goddamn garbage dump mm-hmm. in India right now eating actual trash. Yeah. And if nobody's paying attention to your shit on the internet, like boo fucking who. Yeah. And then you there's know, a kid in the States who's legitimately depressed because no one's paying attention to them on the internet. Exactly. It's quite the perspective. You don't have real problems. Yeah. Like get over it. Um, Church. So, so I think that's very important. Uh, that said, um, basically I just, I just decided, you know, I, I need, I, I need to build a personal brand for myself and YouTube is where the action is. Cause like I said, I had done blogs before and, and I, you know, by 2015 or so, it was just clear to me that blogging was out of steam. Um, and I still kept trying to make it work for a while and just, it just wasn't working. I was like, all right, I got to do YouTube. Uh, so I started out talking about business cause that's kind of my biggest passion. Um, but turns out nobody gave a shit. <laughs> really? Yeah. No, I mean just, and I understand why now, because People want painkillers, not vitamins. Mm. You know, they don't want useful information, really. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's like it's sad to hear that, but I don't disagree. No, like, well, we were talking about this a little earlier, right? It's like know know where your content is being made for and yeah. what it's doing. So maybe just there, maybe in a college class or maybe somewhere that information. And would you be still, gold. you gotta, as one of my uh, my econ professors said, education is the only business where people want less for their money. <laughs> Um, but it is what it is you're making business like videos yeah Yeah. and um and and nobody really cared i mean i had a couple that would get a thousand views or something like that but just it wasn't really happening um and so then i was like you know what maybe i'll go back to talking about music because i had you know i i had a reasonable following when i was writing about music uh on my blog i also wrote for a site called metal sucks for a long time which was probably like one of the biggest metal blogs you know for a while um i was like i know that people in the past cared when i talked about music so maybe i'll try that but i'll try to approach it from a different angle before than i did before i'll try to talk about it from try to talk about business in the context of music uh and that worked so i you know i think a lesson there is don't be um, too arrogant and stubborn to think that what you want to put out into the world is what the world wants from you. You know, like think about all the bands that change their style and seem to like be butthurt that the fans don't like it. And it's like, well, yeah, because you used to be a pop punk band. Nobody wants to hear you play fucking acoustic, whatever. Yeah. Like they want you to, they want to hear the pop punk song. Or on the other side of it, like think about how many bands have been small bands that had amazing art changed it up differently made it more consumable made it different and it popped off right like the format and fun right it just is what it is like it's up to you you know you have a choice of you can um you can stubbornly insist that this is the content i want to make and it's the world's fault that i'm not getting attention or you can, uh, and sometimes you might be proven right, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, you could have someone on this show. It's like, well, nobody paid attention for five years, but look, now I'm Mr. Beast. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, well, actually that was the case for him. It took him like 10 years. Yeah. Um, but anyway, for me, I, I, I'm not, um, so arrogant or stubborn to, you know, think that way. So I just go, well, if the world, if, if, if the world wants me to talk about music, then that's what I'll talk about. Mm. I'm, I feel grateful and flattered that anybody gives a shit what I have to say about anything. Um, and uh, if it's music, fine. You know, and, and if I can weave something useful or helpful or, you know, inspiring in there, then great. You know, because yeah. I mean, my channel is not like a music fandom channel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like top 10 pop punk songs that, you know, rocked in 2007. No, totally. Like you've made a good point of doing it with integrity and, and kind of looking at it from a different perspective of what you just did or what you just said. Right. So, 
that's kind of, you know, and, and in hindsight, I feel like I was stupid for thinking that people would pay attention to what I was talking about before because I'm like, well, why would they want to hear that from me? Like, mm. what have I, I, I know that I've done things that people, you know, in my, in my mind, in my heart, I'm like, well, I've done some things that make me credible on this topic, but nobody knows that. Yeah. So why would they give a shit what I have to say about this? That's very, like, that's a cool, like, self-aware, self-check thing. So uh, how many videos in and how, mu how much time in did that take for you to pivot? Uh, probably, you know, I, I started getting traction almost instantly after I pivoted. Wow. Um, like, almost the first one, maybe the second or third video. So it was like six months, six or seven months in. Wow. Uh, and then two or three months after that, it popped off. Um. The first video I did that got any traction um, was, and I made it the same day that this came out. Uh, I don't know if you remember the thing about uh, Lil Uzi Vert going to that uh, faceless show. Um, like, this was, I don't know, yeah, summer of 2017. He went to a faceless show, and everyone's, like, freaking out about it. And this is, you know, getting back to, like, what we had talked before about a lot of these, like, you know, alternative rappers, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. You know, this is when this is 2017. So when this stuff was not on everyone's radar as much as it is now, and they're all freaking out, like, there's no way he likes this stuff. And I'm like, dude, why? Like, he went to a fucking Lorna Shore show. Yeah. Yo. You don't go to a Lorna Shore show to impress somebody yeah. if you're fucking little Uzi Vert. Yeah. He doesn't need to fucking impress anybody. No. Besides which, I don't think he gives a shit what anybody on the planet thinks of him mm -hmm. uh and you know like playboy cardi has a bad religion tattoo you know it's like i'm pretty sure he likes bad religion yeah like, well, <laughs> i don't know why this is so difficult for you to believe right uh anyway so i made a video kind of about that and that got a couple thousand views which for me at the time was a lot massive um you know when you're getting zero views getting 1200 in two days is a lot yeah and that's another point I think is to, you know, remember that this is all relative and don't move the goalposts on yourself to make yourself feel like shit. So, you know, there's a, I read some inspirational Instagram quote somewhere, like <laughs> remember when all you wanted is what you have right now. And it's true. Like, Actually, there was wow. a time when, you know, me getting 10,000 views on a video was like, holy fuck, I got 10,000 views on a video. Now, if I got 10,000 views on a video, I'd feel like shit. Um, which is stupid. Yeah. You know, but so I have to check myself on that. It's like, well, hang on a minute, dude. Like, why are you ruining this for yourself? Yeah. That's, uh, that's really cool. That, that's really cool that you, I don't know. I think that you, you can get lost in it a little bit, right? Like you can forget the that totally. perspective. And another piece of that, like I was telling you before this podcast started, there was a specific video that you did that I really loved where you just broke it down and you truly showed stats, analytics, just being like consistently just being like put this out ship it like yep. that what was the title of that video if if people were to go back and watch uh, it i'm not sure i've made a couple where i touched on this so i'm not sure exactly which one you mean i can link it in this description it was was it the 50,000 subscriber one or no it might have been it was basically you saying like I got, it might've been because you were saying I got to a certain point. It's probably that one. Yeah. So I, I made one, uh, if you search for punk rock NBA 50,000, you'll find it. Cool. Cause I send this video to people a lot. So I know that I think this is, yeah. this is probably it where you broke it down. And like, I just remember like a graph of months of, of <laughs> nothing, nothing <laughs> and then spike and then kind of like a new, yeah. like, and then spike. Yeah. And it, I think you were proving the point of you put so much out and then you had one that caught and you yep. couldn't really anticipate what that would be, nope. but you kept going. You just have to believe that eventually you'll catch a fish, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And uh, that's what it comes down to. I think with any kind of creative endeavor, you just have to believe that if you keep going, and this is the important part, if you keep adjusting and improving based on what you learn from each one of them. Yeah. If you just keep doing the same thing, there's no reason to expect different results. Wow. But if you adjust and learn from each one of them, that's the key and get better every time. Yeah. Well, there was another thing that you said on your podcast, um, the first episode, 
where you were talking about just being above the standard and above average, mm -hmm. right? It was like uploading YouTube videos where it's just normally the album art yep. for like listening to an album. Don't settle for the default. Exactly. Don't settle for the default. Yep. And Be a little bit better. Yeah. And I love that point too. I think that that like kind of ties in similarly, similarly <laughs> um, where it is. It's like just that persistence, but being self-aware. Totally. I don't know what that, that balance, right? And just find a way in any creative field, it's the same thing. Just find a way to be different, like in some way. I think with whether it's a podcast or YouTube or a band or whatever, it's like if you're just kind of checking all the same boxes that is everyone else, why would they give a shit? Yeah. We are awash in content. Like But I, I really like to the the way that you also keep it authentically. You were saying like the a thing that a lot of YouTubers will tell you is be yourself. Yep. Right. That's a funny one to me where it's surprisingly easier said than done to really become comfortable with being yourself and putting that out authentically. It, yeah, it is because sometimes when you, you know, when you are yourself, people won't like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, for me, I, I guess probably partly because I blogged for a long time and I got thousands of hateful comments there, like that shit just pretty much bounces off of me. Although yeah. sometimes some people like make fun of the way I look or something like that. Like sometimes it hurts my feelings, but not that often. Um, but I think, yeah, that fear of judgment is a big thing for a lot of people. Um, and I don't really have that too much, um, which I'm grateful for. That doesn't really hold me back, but I know it does for a lot of people. And I guess what I would say about that, I, I have a little bit of it though. And what I would say, I think I talked about this in that video is, the thing that you are most like insecure about is what is going to make people like you. Yeah. That's what's going to make them really connect with you. The example I use in that video is uh, there's a YouTuber named uh, Boogie2988 who um, for years has struggled with like obesity and for a long time he had like really horrible fucked up rotten teeth for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but, uh, you know, he talks about that stuff all the time and that's humiliating because like he, you know, he lost a bunch of weight. It has all these like giant folds of loose skin and stuff. And, it, you know, if it was me, I would not be very excited about showing that on camera. No. But that's what makes him interesting. And that's what makes me want to pay attention to what he's saying because it's like he's going through something difficult and that's what makes me want to pay attention to him or shows his fucked up teeth that he needs to get pulled and stuff. Yeah. Um, and whether that's your appearance or something stupid that you did in the past or just a, a, like my, my wife is really like, like scared of people knowing that she was like a Naruto fan when she was, she was like a Naruto mega fan and she's like, so scared about people knowing this. I'm like, dude, nobody's cool. Yeah, like nobody's gonna give a shit. If anything, they'll think it's cool. I love that. I love finding people that are just grown up, professional, whatever. And then you find that thing and you're like, wait a minute. And then they're like, no, 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 you don't get it. I yeah. was in. And you're like, that's yeah. better. Like, Tell do you know literally every goddamn detail about Naruto lore that there is to know? That is, yeah, it's yeah. true, right? Like, I guess imagine like hanging out with somebody in a real life setting and they're so middle of the road about everything. They're so perfectly acceptable yeah. and easygoing. It would be the most boring thing ever. Yeah, like, exactly. It's fun she's, to talk to the people that have so, the deep dives. Yeah, but, and we all feel so weird. We're so insecure about this thing in our own mind. It's this giant mountain. Yeah. But in reality, nobody cares at all. If yeah. anything, they like people almost always are interested when they find out that you're into some weird thing. Yeah. If you're into golf or gardening or you know, romance novels, whatever it is, you yeah. know, it's be like, wait a minute, you never Andrew, you never told me you had a collection of nine hundred romance <laughs> novels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what what's that all about? And I guess to further add to that, it's like that I think people get excited and and you really get a level of respect when not only do you have nine hundred romance novels, but you're the best at it, right? Like right, when you right. become the best yeah. at your thing where it's like I have them category. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Let me tell you about my system for inventorying and finding the new ones. Like I don't give a shit what anybody likes, but right, if they right. like it that much, I'm gonna be like, that's cool. People respond passion. to passion. Yeah. yeah. Like I watch um, like a lot of travel YouTube channels and I fucking hate travel. Mm. There's nothing I would rather not do than travel. Yeah. 
Um, but I love listening to people talk about the places that they've been or like there's an, another channel I watch um, that's about anthropology mm-hmm. and he goes down the fucking rabbit hole. It's, uh, it's called Mesa Man. It's fairly popular. Uh, he goes down the fucking rabbit hole. Like, for example, he'll have like a video breaking down the 16 de- different ethnic groups in Turkey <laughs> and it's like 25 minutes long and it's him talking nonstop like with like statistics and like it's intense and I don't understand all of it, but like the, f- and it, and that information is not at all useful to me in my life. Yeah. But for some reason, it's like, I'm really interested in hearing this person talk about Turkish ethnic groups. He's passionate about Cause he, it. he's fucking into it. Yeah. That's so cool. That's, that's what people respond to. So anybody out there, like don't be afraid. Or I posted about this on Instagram the other day. I did a video uh, about like if you remember those like neon cartoon monster shirts that metalcore bands used to do. Mm-hmm. I did a video about that. Like what a random subject, and it has like one hundred and five thousand views now. Like that's crazy. There's one hundred and five thousand fucking weirdos in the world. Yeah, that wanted to watch a video about where I talk about neon cartoon monster merch that MySpace metalcore bands made in two thousand nine. To be honest, I'll probably have to hit that with a visit because that was a golden <laughs> era of merch. It was. That was so fucking cool. <laughs> so my point is that like whatever your interest is, like that if you are afraid that it's too weird for anybody to care yeah. or any of that, like flip that on its head. The fact that it is such a bizarre, weird little niche is exactly why people will care. Yeah. Like, does the world need another, like, does the world want a YouTube channel with somebody's kind of bland, middle-of-the-road opinions on, you know, uh, the most unremarkable things in the world, like the Ford Focus? Yeah. Here's here's a video uh, where I, you know, 10 mild opinions on the 2016 Ford Focus, you know? Can we please? Actually, that's kind of a, that, actually that title. Please? That title is fire. <laughs> and actually, this would be a great concept for a YouTube channel. Is somebody like having mild opinions on like really if, normal, boring things? If that was executed well enough, be, it would be huge. Actually, that, <laughs> that now that I'm thinking, I'm like, fuck! I shouldn't have said this on the channel. Bro, like, please, somebody you know, do this. I need right. to see. Oh my god. Um, the last thing it I want to talk about: middle of the road opinion on Olive Garden, dude. I might fuck around and try this. The last thing that I want to talk about is you started a podcast recently. And I really, we were talking a little bit about before or before we started this, but we were talking about kind of knowing where to put content. And I was asking you, I was just like, obviously you have a successful YouTube channel. What inspired you to start this podcast? And I just want to talk about that for a second because I think it's really cool. Sure. So I've done some interviews on my YouTube channel. Like I interviewed a guy named Big Herc, who has a uh, YouTube channel called Fresh Out, like a prison channel. Dude, I met him. Oh, where at? Race service. Oh, okay. He's big into cars. Yeah, he has yeah. an Acura NSX. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So I interv- I'm a huge fan of Big Herc because my dad, you know, my dad worked at a prison. My stepmom worked at a prison. My aunt worked at a jail. I have like five uncles that went to prison. So prison has always been a big deal to me dude he's so cool i love him and i love his channel uh-huh. that's a full circle moment continue so, yeah so i interviewed big herc i interviewed uh randall pitch from live fit uh i interviewed d um a couple of those and they just didn't do well on youtube mm. i thought maybe well you know I, I i thought because these people were doing cool kind of lifestyle things that maybe people these creators people would be interested in it and they didn't do well mm. But I still want to do interviews because I'm really passionate about it. I enjoy it. And I know that there is an audience of people who are interested in this stuff. It's just like, well, apparently my YouTube channel is not the place. And I mm. thought about it and I looked at other YouTube channels and the other ones I've worked on in the past. And that's kind of a consistent pattern is like interviews just don't do that well on YouTube. Yeah. So uh, like we we're talking about, I'm a big believer in, in, in making content that is native for the platform. In other words, you wouldn't try to put a podcast on Twitter, right? Like that just doesn't really make sense. So like, oh, we'll chop it up into like one minute chunks and do like a, you know, 60 tweet thread. Can you imagine just scrolling a sub thread of Twitter right, with right. one minute in each one? Dude, I'll be right there. I just got to finish this Twitter podcast. I'm on number 24 out of 60. I mean, it's an extreme example, but that's, but that's my point is you need to make content that is native for the platform. And to me, interviews are native to podcasts. So I still wanted to do interview, and also it makes it a lot easier if I don't have to do the video part, as you know. Yeah, the that part of it is just as much work. Yeah, and yeah. and arguably not necessary. 
Yeah, actually, yeah. you're right. Like yeah. I'm doing it and I'm like, yeah, I, I think this is a good, I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah. again, we're talking about trying everything. For sure. Like, yeah. I think that I'll try a couple of people asked who knows, but I feel you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I will say it definitely helps me, um, understand the guest when I see it on Instagram, when mm-hmm. I see the video on Instagram, it definitely helps me feel more of a connection to the guest if I don't know who they are. Yeah. So I'm much more likely to listen to it when I see it in iTunes. Yeah. So there is that, whether it's worth the trouble or not, I don't know. But anyhow, uh, that's why I started to do the podcast because I really want to sit down with people and unpack the concept for the shows, kind of like this one. Um, and, and like a lot of other podcasts, it, I'm just going to sit down with people who are doing something they love for a living and yeah. try to figure out how they did it and pull out any lessons that I can for the for the audience so they can do it too. Well, the compliment that I have to pay you is I think with this show, I really like to paint the early picture and kind of hear like where the person came from, what that is. But that's not always what people want to hear, right? Like for some people, it's really cool, especially yeah. if you've been following that person because you're like, whoa, I didn't know that. But what I love about your podcast is it's so accessible to anyone. It's basically, if you care about being better at a thing you're passionate about, you'll get something from it. Ooh, I'm stealing that. Let's go. Nice. I like that. Yeah. It's a good one. But that's how I feel, right? Like, yeah, like most of your friends, well, I don't even want to say that. I was going to say the first two episodes are people from music. Yeah. But these lessons are universal. Yep. Uh, Next one is uh, is Adam. Oh, cool. So photographer. Yep. Got a couple YouTubers in the works. Um, it's it's definitely not going to be limited to musicians by any means. It's going right. to be a good chunk of them because it's just you know obvious. Yeah. But it's, it's definitely not going to be limited to musicians. And I'm a, I feel a similar way with this show where I'll have people on. It's like if I think you're doing something exceptional, if you're passionate about it, I want to hear about it. I, I would have somebody on that ran a landscaping business. Totally. If they're stoked on it, I want to talk to them. Actually, yeah. Like I, I mean, my favorite one, my favorite non-music one that I've done is Micah Coley, who is uh, he goes by the Hollywood Mechanic. And he's studied nuclear physics and nuclear like energy mm-hmm. and then went on and applied it to automotive. But he works on like Ferraris and Lamborghinis now. And his understanding of that, it's like, it's different than just it's a, a guy story. wrenching. Yeah. And it's awesome. Yeah. But I, I really do like your podcast because I think that you get straight to the point and you find the things about the people that they're doing so well and you touch on those points and I was really impressed by it and I'm so excited to see where it goes because it's, I mean, at least right now as we're talking, two, three episodes in. Well, I appreciate that and 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 I guess let me just point out something specific there is I think, you know, it's always important to ask how is this different? And so for me, it's like, well, how is this going to be different than the other interview shows that talk to like creative people you know, about what they do. And uh, you actually brought up a point that I I haven't articulated, but I'm focusing on the present. Mm. A lot of shows do talk about the the beginning. Yeah, And I'm not saying that's bad, but like, that's just not what I want to do. I'm more interested in like, what are you doing right now and how do you do it? That's cool. And that says it so well. That's such a quick way to say it. Because yeah, you're right. Like there's a lot of shows very similar to this. And, you know, it's like, I, I draw inspiration from it, right? Like, again, it's like what we were talking about in the beginning. It's like, you can be threatened by it or you can draw inspiration from it and all that. So I love to see that you're doing this now because I think that your understanding, and now I understand your understanding of business and people, uh, will bring about such good questions and such good advice from people. So I'm super hype and I am a excited subscriber same to you i i I love your show i genuinely i genuinely really really enjoyed the two that i listened to so far and uh i'm i'm excited that they're you know they're it feels here's another thing is like it feels like there's a million people doing the same thing as you but there aren't it's probably just because we're obsessed with these things right yeah like (laughs) and that's true for like everybody but like think about like for example prison youtube channels there's really only like four or five like Mm. there's you know Big Herc, t- Lockdown 23 and 1, uh, The After Prison Show, and Wes Watson, and maybe one other one I'm not thinking of. There's not actually that many prison channels. It feels like a crowded space, but it's actually not. And that's true of almost everything. Maybe not like, you know, there's some shit like general gaming is just sure actually super crowded. Yeah, or like um, I'm sure like beauty, makeup. Yeah, probably, super crowded. Yeah. But like think about like album reviews of like, you know, of like, 
alternative music or whatever, there's not very many people doing it. There's really only about five doing it at like any kind of scale. Mm -hmm. So if you're telling yourself that the space you want to enter is too crowded, check that. It might be true, but check that assumption because I think there's a good uh, chance that if you kind of think about it on a little bit more granular level, for example, even in makeup, um, most of it, or in, in beauty, most of it is like makeup. There's not as many hair channels. Mm. Whoa. You know, or what if you focused just on uh, lips or eyes? So how is it different? Yeah. That's a good question. And, and it's ask. like, how many, how many YouTube channels are there that focus just on eye makeup? I don't know, but I bet it's not many. Yeah. Damn. That's no, that's, that is really cool. And that's another cool way to look at it. And I also don't think it should fully deter you. Like you can make an educate, like you, you don't have to jump into the hardest thing to talk about totally. the most crowded space. But if you're passionate about it, like I, I don't think that it's a bad thing to have other people doing it. Right. Like not at all. All it does is just validate that that's a decent idea. Yeah. So I, I just, I'm really excited to see where your podcast goes and the fact that you've already brought so much value uh, with what you've done with your other content. I'm I'm excited to watch you make something, another cool. thing. Well, I appreciate the support. Yeah, for sure. So everybody go listen, shout it out, tell them where they can find it, tell them where they can find you. You can find me uh, on YouTube. Just search for The Punk Rock MBA or if you want to type it in, it's youtube.com slash MBA. You can find the podcast at prmbapodcast.com. And you can find me on Instagram at Finn McKenty, F-I-N-N-M-C-K-E-N-T-Y. There it is. Thank you for doing this, dude. Thank you for having me. Hell yeah. So there you have it. Finn McKenty, his story, what he's working on, his podcast, everything. The dude's incredible and such a rad person on and off camera. Like he's so authentic. I really believe in him. I really care about him. I'm so glad we were able to get closer. If you liked this and you hadn't heard of him, hit him up on Instagram, let him know, follow his podcast, again, The Punk Rock MBA. If this is your first time listening to my podcast and maybe you discovered me through Finn, thank you for taking the time to listen. Like, for real, this means so much to me. If that's the case, hit me up on Instagram. I'm at Andrew underscore FTW. Let me know what you think of this show. Listen to some more episodes. All of it. It's incredible. I'm just trying to build a community of people who get it and care about what they do. So that says it all. Be back next week with another episode. Have a great week.